someone comes knocking on your door or someone just rushes through your door? Oh, no. they It's essentially brush, rushing through your door at 5 a.m. Gun which, to your head. Which door? If I, your house? House. Okay. So they rush in your house yeah. at 5 a.m. Yeah. You didn't even brush your teeth yet. Nah. with Jay Blessed is a transparent look into the life and mind of a Caribbean woman having human experiences. Get into my mind as I share my most vulnerable thoughts and honest experiences. I'll take you on a roller coaster of emotions as you get to know someone who might share similar experiences with you. Some might make you speechless, you'll definitely laugh. Others might make you angry and some might even make you cry. But my very real, very raw, very relatable weekly podcast will always keep you coming back for more. Join me as I talk to myself, talk to you, and even talk to some special friends in my head. (laughs) In my head is an introspective look from a voyeuristic point of view. For a list of all my social channels and how you can connect with me, please view this episode's summary. To join in on the conversation, use the hashtag HeadWithJB. That's H-E-A-D-W-I-T-H-J-B. And follow me on Instagram at RealJBlessed and Twitter at JBlessed. Let's get in on the conversation together. Don't forget to log on to my official website, JBlessed.com. A human experience from a Caribbean perspective. Episode 40, I am more than my mistakes with France Metalis. In my head. Hey fam, missed me? I missed you so much. I know I was only gone for a week, but uh, listen, a break is necessary, okay? And I am so grateful that I found some time to spend with myself, with my family, and I'm so grateful that you guys are patient with me. How did you spend your Memorial Weekend? Things around the front, uh? Man, we are in week 10 of social distancing and your girls still haven't received unemployment benefits, along with millions of other Americans who are still waiting, right? I miss my family. I miss my friends, my coworkers. I miss traveling. I miss getting dressed up. I miss dining out. I miss my old life, but I'm so grateful, so grateful to be alive. I just started an e-course with Cornell University and Bank of America, completed my second virtual summit, this time featuring 70 women voices from around the world, founded by India-based TEDx speaker Pervy Tanti. Matter of fact, shout out to my listeners in India. <laughs> Head with JB has officially mid-year and is heard in 65 countries around the globe, including India. So thank you so much to my people in India who tune in to your girl on this Head With JB podcast. I'm also preparing to uh, partake in the second Soka Mom Summit. Yeah, check out my panel titled An Intimate Discussion on Mental Health in the Caribbean on the first Soka Mom Summit on this episode's show notes. So make sure you uh, stick and stay with me. Go visit this summary uh, of this podcast. Get some information. Matter of fact, the second Soka Mom Summit is coming up June 12th 
through 14th. You do not want to miss it. The first one was amazing. The second one will be even more powerful. You don't want to miss that. You can visit SokaMomSummit.com for more information. Now, where were you this past Saturday? (laughs) We just witnessed the best versus battle of all time of all time. And I know they just started with a few, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, but this, 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 this past Saturday with Bounty Killer and Beanie Man. Listen, these two Caribbean icons, Caribbean legends, Grammy award winning Caribbean men, them showed up and showed out for the Caribbean and made us so proud and so happy. Bounty versus Beanie was indeed medicine for our souls during these COVID-19 times. I had such a blast. I wrote all about it on jblast.com. So go online, have a read. The full video of the historic virtual clash is also in my Bounty versus Beanie review. You can view it all, read it all on jblast.com. In my Back in January, I recorded this episode. It was scheduled to air in February 2020, but life has its own plans, and I'm a firm believer that nothing happens before it's time. So I'm really excited to share this particular episode. Man, 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 man. In episode 14, if you missed that one, I featured Ali Eiffel on the first I Am More Than My Mistake. And so I decided to do it again with another dynamic guest. So let's end May, aka Mental Health Awareness Month. Let's end it off with a bang as we get into episode 40. I am more than my mistake with Franz Metalis. In my head. All right, fam, welcome. <laughs> I'm back, bitch. <laughs> and I have a guest in the studio, which is even more amazing. It's the 2020 season of In My Head. So you know when guests are here, then you're gonna it's it's on full throttle. We're just gonna go deep into some deep places and talk about some real things. So uh call up a friend, share this episode, tweet it, Facebook it, WhatsApp it, Instagram it, I don't care. Y'all know what to do. And the official hashtag, of course, is hashtag head with JB. H-E-A-D-W-I-T-H-J-B. I'm not going to say what I normally say, G. Because <laughs> you know I give good head. <laughs> but actually, no, I came up with <laughs> I came up with an acronym for head. Um, since we are now... Um, <laughs> Front, stop laughing. And that's supposed to be on the show. <laughs> so head with JV is healing and educating through accountability and discipline so i feel like a lot of times healing for a lot of people is just it sounds like this far-fetched thing um but with this head thing that i got going on i needed to make it it's an acronym and yeah we're all about healing on this podcast we're all about healing through education you know however that might be learning about something new from someone learning about a similar experience that you may have and how that person overcame and accountability i think that's a word that a lot of people are afraid of being accountable for their actions or their inactions and healing is a discipline you know it's not fun it's not it's not glamorous it's painful and fucking lonely sometimes 
but it's a discipline. If you can discipline yourself to get out of the rut that you're in and to overcome, then you will definitely be ahead, ahead, ahead of the game. <laughs> okay, I'm on the road. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> Jaybirds, put your hands together and welcome, friends. Woo! Hey. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Even though you were giggling. <laughs> hey, Franz. Hey. So, Franz Metellus. Yep. Where does that last name come from? Originate? Man, Greek. Yeah? Yeah. You you got Greek people in your family? I, God only knows. I don't know. You know, the Greek migrated to the Caribbean. Is that a point. slave trade type thing? No. They weren't part of the slave trade. They just... Like to travel and chill, I guess. So you got you you got some Grecian type thing. Grecian. <laughs> <laughs> Grecian. You have a Grecian in your family. Um, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I have no idea. Who knows? <laughs> well, Franz, welcome to In My Head. Thank you so much for um, choosing to be a part of this. Um, I've known you for damn. Can I like under ten years? Just about, I guess. Yeah, Just man. about 10 years. It's yeah. whoa. <laughs> yeah. um, and I know bits and pieces of your story, but sure. what I do know is from my own experience with you mm-hmm. that you are a man of good character um, mm. from my experience with you and how you engage with your patrons, your guests, your friends, and just the everyday regular person with the most utmost respect. People like that, I gravitate towards. And there are always layers to people. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say that we're onions. Mm-hmm. And um, you might be some way, you know, a, a different way with a different person than you are with me. But I can only speak of my own experience with you. Yep. Um, and with that being said, I know that your story is like out of this world crazy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give you a platform where more men can hear another strong black man's voice and hear his story and hear how he's overcome um, challenges and obstacles and even failures and and gain strength from that, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your upbringing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First generation Haitian American? First generation Haitian American, born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, uh, Mom and dad divorced when I was young. And, you know, it's cool. We lived in a great neighborhood, um, South Jamaica, Queens, um, two-family house, backyard, all that good stuff. Um, But, you know, money was tight. So I I don't know. I always felt like, you know, I had to provide for at least myself. I was the oldest of three boys. Um, So, you know, I started working young, you know, the grocery packing bags, the delivering the newspapers. You know, we had near us what was called the aqueduct flea market at the time. Mm-hmm. So we'd go early in the morning and find a couple of vendors and see if they needed help for the day and work with them. And I guess that's where it all started for me. You know, I I was fortunate enough to have the experience to work with so many different vendors, you know, because... It was nearby, and that was the thing to do. And when, and when you're underage, when you're 14, you really can't work. Mm-hmm. 13 and 14, you really... I didn't get working papers till I was late, till later. So this place didn't care. They'd hire you, and you'd work for the day. And it was cool. It was cool. You'd leave $20, $30, whatever it was, but that was your $20, $30. Right, right. Didn't and- have to ask mom, didn't have to ask dad. And, 
you felt independent and you rocked out. And is this late eighties, early nineties? Like this what is, is late eighties, not even late eighties. This was eighty two, eighty one, so early eighties, early early eighties. Yeah. So you've been learning the art of negotiation from a very young age. Uh, like, how are you gonna? Who are you gonna spend your time with? Who? Which which vendor am I gonna like? Pretty work much. With? <laughs> yeah. Who's paying the most today? Who has the least work and who's paying the most? Eldest of three. Yeah. I can relate to you with that. Yep. Um, so a lot of the responsibility kind of. It all fell. Yeah. Yeah. And how did that? How did that affect you? How did it affect you? I, you know what? I don't know. Here's the thing, right? When you grow up this way, and this is it's part of your life, you don't know another part of it. See, I don't see the alternative, right? It's like, okay, you're the oldest. You got to set the example. You got to help them out. You got blah, blah, blah. It's just natural. Right. Right? And it doesn't go anywhere. Um, did you ever have to sacrifice any of the things that you wanted to do because you had to play, like, um, secondary parent? Maybe, but again, who realizes it? Right. Right? I mean, I, I didn't think about those things. Oh, okay, I can't go here because I got to go here with my brother. You got to look up for your brothers. That's what you're supposed to do. I mean, yeah, so yeah. Okay. it's, I don't know. So let's talk about your school days. Yeah. Were you always um, a good student? Oh, I was never really a good student. <laughs> I mean, I a good student, you know, overachiever, A's and stuff like that. No, that wasn't my thing. What was your thing? Yo, just chill. <laughs> just get by. <laughs> just listen, fly under just the radar. Listen, you just got to matriculate and graduate. <laughs> That's it. You sound like Maya. Maya would be like, Mom, you got to finesse the system. <laughs> you just got to, you just, no, you got to. For me, it was just like, okay, I got to do enough to move on to the next grade. And I just got to keep doing enough to, to move on to the next grade. That's all it was ever about for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, did skated, I guess, skated through elementary, through high school. College was a little bit more difficult. So that was a little bit harder to skate through. But, I mean, the stuff I was learning was pretty cool. So, you know, we did that, graduated. You went to St. John's first. I went to St. John's undergrad, yeah. Right. And how was that experience? Did you know going into St. John's, okay, I need to buckle down. I can't really skate through this. And I know what I want to do. I know who I want to become. I know the career path no. that I want to take. So what did you do? No, you had ideas, right? So I was, I was a uh, criminal justice major, and I figured I'd do something with the law. I didn't know exactly what. Um, but I, I knew I liked law. Uh, I knew I liked business. Um so I figured, let me just keep going to school and figure it out. Take these classes that are geared towards that and see what happens. Um, I don't know. You, you know, it, college was a little bit easier for me than high school because it was more interesting. How so? Well, the courses were more interesting. The people, you know, the, the, the way you learned was a little bit more interesting to me. The subject matter was a little bit more interesting to me. So for some reason, I, I I opened the book a little bit more in college. I'm not saying I opened the book every day, but, you know, I did focus just a little bit more. And um, it was good. It was good. So home base, because you're in Queens. Yeah. Going to St. John's. Yep. Um, and then, okay, graduate. Yeah. Graduate. Uh, graduate, get a job with the city of New York. 
I was an investigator for the city of New York. What kind of investigator? Uh, social services, welfare hmm. investigator. Let's talk about that. How long were you doing that for? I think I did that for like five years. Five years? Yeah. What did you see? Everything. Like what? Everything, name it. Everything and anything. So it's 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 social services, so you do see people who are down on their luck, but you almost see absolutely everyday people who are struggling. Every single day people, you and me. Like regular people, regular jobs, union jobs, civil servant jobs, and they struggle too, you know? Um, and I think... For me, that that painted the picture that, listen, we are pretty much all in the same camp. Right. Right? Yeah, you got money today. That's all good. I hear you. But, dude, this person that's here today was a SAG actor, and now they're down on their luck, and now they need social service assistance. And it can happen to any one of us. Have you seen people abuse the system? Well, yeah. 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 And in, in as an investigator, like, what is your role when it comes to? You kind of got to stop it. You got to stop it. I mean, it, you have a duty to to you know protect the funds for those who are deserving and needing of it. Have you ever felt guilty about stopping someone's funds? Because yeah. You know, it, it, sometimes it's sometimes form overrides substance. Unfortunately. Right? So when I say that, I say, okay, this person can't get this particular aid because they have A, B, and C, and D, whatever assets they may have, right? And they can't get it. But unfortunately, in one scenario, this person couldn't touch their assets. They literally could not touch it, even though those assets were there and set aside for them. They couldn't touch it. But by law, because you had these assets, we couldn't give you these assistance. Wow. Mm. Right. So that's more form over substance, because if you really look at the picture, this person really don't have it, don't have it. Right. Like, OK, they'll get it later, but they don't have it now and they're struggling now. And, you know, you feel bad like that. What sometimes. Do you, what do you think? Uh, uh, I mean, like I've, I've read articles where, um, especially in New York City, uh, a lot of Jews tend to take advantage of the welfare system and but a lot of people look down on black folks as if we're the only users of yeah that's that's like society in and of itself in a nutshell right it's like when the dark-skinned people do it it's bad when when somebody else does it maybe it's not so bad um i gotta tell you this i've seen a lot of people of color and also people also white people on welfare. So I, I, I mean, it goes both ways. I've seen it both ways. So you had that experience working for the city of New York. Um, so seeing wealth and seeing, you know, in between mm-hmm. and seeing people at their lowest points. Yep. Um, and somehow, somewhere in between that, you decide you want to go back to school. Yeah. Why? <laughs> it wasn't enough. <laughs> you had a enough. good city job, though. I know. It wasn't enough. Okay. It wasn't enough. There was more I had to learn. Right. So you decided to apply to Rutgers. Yeah. Rutgers Law. Rutgers Law. Went to Rutgers Law. Greatest school in the world. <laughs> Seriously. I'm, I'm so happy. Well, I'm happy I went to St. John's undergrad, but Rutgers Law, for real, for real. Best bang for your buck if anybody wants to go to law school. 
one of the schools with the biggest diversities in the country, so it's dope. Go there. Shameless plug for Rutgers. Yeah, um, who is it? Uh, Alfred Edmund from Black Enterprise always like plugs Rutgers because that's yeah. his alma mater. Yeah. And he will always say basically the yeah. same thing you said. Yep. <laughs> so you went to Rutgers. Uh-huh. And did you decide what kind of law you were going to? So law school, you do everything. I mean, you have ideas and intentions of what you want to do, but you kind of do everything. You map it out, especially your first year. You're only taking your course. Um, later on, you start taking a little bit more electives towards what you want to do. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of wanted to do everything non-litigating, right? So I didn't want to be in anybody's court, mm-hmm. right? I just wanted to do everything else. So it's more transactional is what I was looking for. Right. Um, and I did that. You know, I, I, I got involved with the sports and law an entertainment society. I got involved with the Black Law Students Associated. I got involved with all these groups. Yeah, transactional sort of affairs and plus learned you, a lot about plus that. Plus, you also pledged back in. at Oh yeah, I pledged at St. Right? John's. Yeah. Right. Pledged at St. John's. So connecting, building your connections. Yeah. Building your network. Yeah. Uh, graduating. Yeah. So you didn't skate by. <laughs> Maybe I did. <laughs> 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 Can you actually skate, though? <laughs> uh, nah, not law school. You really can't skate law school. So you, you graduated? I did. Nice. Yeah. And upon graduating, did you decide, okay, well, I'm going to go work for this firm? Everyone has, I, I know a yeah. lot of people that have in their mind, these are the firms that I want to yeah. work for. So that was in your mind? You know, that's, after first year law school, you pretty much know if you're going to go if you're going to go to one of those top dog firms if you're not going to go to one of those top dog firms you're pretty much you're going to go to a mid-sized firm small size firm maybe work for for the city or work for some government agency i knew early on that i probably wasn't going to one of those big time firms and that i had to learn and i had to and i that was my route right i had to learn how to work how to do these transactions in order to get hired. I didn't think that my grades alone would help me. What uh, what year, what age did you graduate from Rutgers? I went, well, when did I graduate? <laughs> 30, 30, 30. You were 30? Yeah, I was 30. Okay. Do you remember the year? 2002. Okay, 2002. So when were you admitted to the bar? Uh, 2003. Okay, so a year later. Yeah. Only in New York or New York and New Jersey? Only in New York. Okay. So admitted to the bar in 2003. Yep. Are, are we living our best lives yet? Uh, no? no, no. When in 2003? Yeah, it's yeah, I mean like bling bling era. Like you just graduated from yeah. you know like law school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was doing okay. I was fortunate. I really was. 2003 was Sean Paul giving me lights, like bachelor parties. Yeah, right? all of it, every bit of it. <laughs> so now, okay, 30. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, see, shortly after graduating law school, I went off on my own. Okay, so you decided to open your own firm? Yeah. Wow. What made you decide that? Arrogance. Hmm. Okay. All right. Pure arrogance. Okay. Why do you use the term arrogance to describe that move? Why not? Why not just, why did you choose that word? Because you know what? You have confidence. And you may have some skills. Right. Right? But 
at the end of the day, is somebody out of law school a year and a half really ready to practice for themselves? Right. I thought I did. And I, I think I did well to a certain extent. So you are a dad. Let's talk yeah. about your, your fatherhood. Yeah. Um, how many boys? Two. Two boys, ages? 18 and 11. So married? Uh, no, no longer. Okay, so you were married. Yeah. When you, when you graduated from law school, yep. um, were you married? No. Okay. So marriage and the kids came after. Mm-hmm. All right. Living your best life, you got you. Are you getting clients now with this? Yeah. Okay. How are you getting these clients? Like through your network again? Yeah. Okay. You know, it. It. I was fortunate. I really. First of all, I I practiced in the area of real estate business transactions, and I loved it. And um, the market was booming at the time, right? So. You know, frat brothers, friends, colleagues, everybody said, "Hey, I'm doing something." So. Um, help me out, and I said sure. And uh, people found I was competent at real estate early, so the word got around, and I was fortunate. People were calling. So let's talk about real estate for a little bit. Yep. Uh, we had uh, a guest on last year, uh-huh. David Jermaine of Haitian and Jamaican Heritage. So uh-huh. he's a big uh, real estate broker okay. out here in New York, and he was talking about wealth building and yep. real estate, right? Yep. So you went into it from a transactional place of practicing law, mm-hmm. but were you able to, with the knowledge that you had, invest in property? Yeah. How, yeah. how was that for you? Um, I mean, it's good. I, you can't really say it's wrong. It depends on what you're going into it for. You know, what I realize in my practice, in my experience, is that if you're buying something and you're going to hold on to it and you're just going to wait and you're going to rent it out, you're going to... It's a, if you're making a long-term investment, it tends to work out better than to try to do a flip. So the ones that I've noticed that have made long-term investments in real estate have made it work. You own... One of my favorite watering holes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like cheers to me where everybody yeah. knows your name kind yep. of shit. Yeah. Uh, Franz is the owner of Rustic Tavern. Uh, when did you open Rustic? Mm, 2008. 2008. And you own the building. I do. That's like one of the smartest moves ever. I always tell people if you want to open a restaurant or a lounge, at least own the goddamn building. Like, it'd, it'd be more helpful on the building. <laughs> you don't think so? It is. <laughs> I mean, at times, at times, you know, it can be. Right. Because you, you kind of know your rent is not going to skyrocket on you. Right. But, uh, but yeah, Rustic is one of my favorite places. And Thank you. so there's a big chunk of time now from you opening your law practice mm-hmm. to you opening Rustic. Right. Um, I did some research on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you got yourself into some hot water. I did. Let's talk about that from your own mouth. I don't want to put it out there. That's cool. How about you talk about it? Let's right. talk timeline. So you graduated 2000. Yeah, so I graduated in 2002. Two. I started practicing in 2003. Well, I, I was pretty much practicing under someone since 2002, since graduating law school. Um, I went off and started practicing on my own in 2003. And, uh, yeah. So sometime in 2008, I represented someone who was, at the time, 
or now come to find out he was uh you know he he was getting hookups at 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 his bank for mortgages and that was a no-no so everyone that was involved got in trouble all right i'm gonna read something mm-hmm. um on march 20th 2009 the respondent pleaded mm-hmm. guilty in the united states district court for the eastern district of new york uh, before U.S. Magistrate Judge Stephen M. Gold to the crime of conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bank fraud in violation of 18 U.S.C. Um, 1349, a Class B felony. Yeah. On March 16, 2010, United States District Court Judge Jack B. Weinstein sentenced the respondent to term of imprisonment of six months plus three years of post-release supervision. Uh, he was directed by, to pay restitution in the amount of $5,166,900 jointly and severely with all co-defendants, mm-hmm. payable at the rate of $100 per month. Um, let's let's kind of like get into this a bit. Sure. Um, you were doing business with someone yeah. who... Okay, look, so here's here's what it is, right? In 2002, the whole banking mortgage industry was blowing up. Banks were giving everybody money. Hole in a heartbeat is all you needed. You got money from a lender. Lenders set these rules on how who gets money and how they get money. So I had a client client was flipping properties he had buyers who was willing to buy his partners he called them partners people who he's willing to buy properties with put it in their name fix it turn around and flip it now he was successful for a little while doing this how he was getting the financing not too sure i just knew he knew people in the banks so they they weren't buying it from him they were Partners, and they were going but, to get a loan. But partnership in the fact that they would basically lend him their name. Essentially, yes. Okay. Right? They would do it that way. Straw buyers is what they call them. Got it. Right? Straw buyers. He'd use straw buyers. They would buy the property, keep it in their name, fix it up, turn around and flip it. So how did he come to you? You know, I he was he was a real estate developer. Just found you? This game, real estate game, people find you. They really just find you. Hey, I got a deal. Can you do this for me? You provide a service. They have a need, and you just get into it, and you do it. How many deals did you do for this one particular client? I think 10. So the first deal was kind of like, how was the first deal? He was buying a property from a bank, and he just bought the property from the bank. He okay, came he with, did, not yeah. a partner, just he did. Bought a property, was easy. Oh, well, no, when I say he, I mean always a partner. He's okay. always using somebody. His mom, his aunt, his cousins, his friends, his girlfriend. So that didn't raise an alarm within you for the first transaction because it seemed normal? You know what? It never raised an alarm for me at all. And I'll tell you why. Many a people were doing this. Right. Was it the right thing to do or it's just a normal thing to do? Here's one thing I always say, right? I say follow the golden rule. You want to know what the golden rule is? Tell me. He who has the goal sets the rules. The bank had the goal. The bank said, okay, this is the procedure. 
just follow the bank's procedure. The bank said, okay, this loan is ready to close. We want to fund this loan to this person to buy this property. Now, everyone else on the outside, we're assuming, okay, the bank did their due diligence. They did their homework. They did everything because they're giving this person a loan. I'm assuming they did. Right? But a Where's the loophole? What do you mean? You're assuming that the bank is giving the person who's putting their name. They should be. But the, the bank screwed up. And but everybody else took the fall for it. And listen, I wish I wasn't in the room. I wish it wasn't me. So how many years were you working with this one particular client? Because you do have other clients <sighs> in the meantime. Oh, for ten years. Maybe about less. A little bit less. Five, six years, seven years. I've known him for a while. You know, it was one deal. Maybe didn't hear from him for a year. And then it was a few more. And then maybe didn't hear for another 18 months. And then a few more. So what brought your private practice Mm -hmm. and your business crashing? So it was essentially that, you know. You got to think about it. In 2008 is when this whole thing started. And the market was crashing. People wanted to blame people for this. Who else to blame but a black lawyer? Real talk, seriously. Like, if you look at it and you look at the people that are blamed for it, it was the lawyers. It wasn't the banks that set the rules. Now, again, I'm owning that I was in a room, and I shouldn't have been in a room. I wish I would have left the room. But I was in the room. You know, so I was complicit. doing these deals. I'm com- Well, look, I should have known. I should have known. I should have known that... This was a little sketchy. But for me, I'm like, man, listen, the bank is giving them the money. Who am I to tell the bank no? All right, so let's pause for a minute because I really want to paint a clearer picture for the listeners, right? Sure. On what specifically happened Mm -hmm. to halt your world? Like, did someone come knocking on your door? Oh, yeah. So walk me through that. Paint this picture of that day for me. So... Rustic might have been... So you opened Rustic Rustic while you still have your practice. Was your practice in the same building as Rustic? Next door. Okay. All right. So your practice and your business. All right. You own in that block. I'm about the block. Things are going well, right? Business is flowing. Yep. You're living on top of the world. You got a business. You got got two businesses. Yep. And is it summer? Is it spring? Is it winter? I really want a clear picture of this. Like, I want... Oh, so it's nice. Birds are chirping. The beginning of spring. <laughs> beginning of spring. So it was a little chilly. All right. Birds are chirping. Yeah. <laughs> Ice is melting. Yeah. You, you, you dress in your nice suit and your nice <laughs> coat and you go to work to meet with your clients. You're going to have a drink next door by the time the evening is over. Someone comes knocking on your door or someone just rushes through your door? Oh, no. they It's essentially brush, rushing through your door at 5 a.m. Gun which, to your head. Which door? If I, your house? House. Okay. So they rush in your house yeah. at 5 a.m. Yeah. You didn't even brush your teeth yet. Nah. With guns drawn to your head? Yeah. My So my, my then wife, um, she was pregnant. She answered the door. Um, she, I heard her scream. And I was still sleeping, but I heard the scream. And that's when I jumped up, but they were already on top of me. Have you ever gotten in trouble with the law before? Oh, yeah. Doing what? Tell your truth. 
God only knows what I get in trouble for. Um, man, who knows? Um, joyriding. Have you ever been in jail before? Yeah. Any younger? No years? time. No time. Okay. Like you go in, you go out. Stuff okay. like that. So just trivial shit. Yeah. But now you have who just barged in the house? What? 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 What are there? Is it the FBI? Is it the DEA? FBI. Okay. Feds are in your house. Yeah. Five a.m. Yeah. Your wife is pregnant. Yeah. With your son. Yeah. And you in your drawers and brush yeah. your teeth. Yeah. What's the first thing rushing through your mind right now? I'm bugging. I have no idea what's going on. I hear they say it's FBI. So I said, okay, fine. And then uh, I just start getting dressed. And uh, They allow you that moment to get dressed? Well, I Are mean, yeah. Are they rummaging through your shit? No, they're not rummaging through anything. Okay. It's just to come get me. They're not looking through anything. They're not taking anything. Nothing like that. So they put you in the, the transport yeah. vehicle. Yeah. Do they say anything to you? Do they ask you anything? No. Do you ask any questions? No. So are you now in lawyer mode of not saying anything and just waiting to hear? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where do they take you to? Uh, ooh, I, I don't know where we went first. Probably went to one of the Fed buildings, the one downtown or uh, the one in the city. It's hard to tell. We were underground a lot. Wow. Okay. So you get before a judge? We do. I get before a judge. So we, you say we, who, who's that? It's a bullroom. So I'm trying to paint this picture that they essentially picked up everyone who's ever done almost any transaction with Mr. This person. I don't want to say his name, but anyone and everyone. From uh, loan officers to appraisers. So to everyone got this call, like, showed up 5 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. with feds at their door. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Everyone. Okay. So you are seeing familiar faces now? Yeah. So is it now ringing a bell? Like It what totally is. Okay. So the only person missing is this guy? Or was he there? No, it was one other person missing, too. So they're both not there? They're both not there. Well, I mean, okay, so the one guy, the main guy, he, I think he might have been in prison already, or he, they had contact with him, something. He just wasn't there. Okay, so you get, you guys get before the judge, and what is the judge saying now? Uh, nothing. Just pretty much, how do you plead? Not guilty. Okay, you'll get a lawyer, blah, 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 blah. We'll see you another day. What did you say? Not guilty. Okay. All right, so this is 2000, what? Eight? Nine, I believe. Eight, nine, eight, eight, no, nine. 2009. 2009. And what's going through your mind right now? Like, how, on a level of 100, of 100 being really, really fucking stressed, where, where you at? Oh, I'm, I'm 110. Okay. I'm stressed out. Did you find a, an attorney? I did. Okay. I did. And um, a good one. But, um, but essentially, you kind of fucked yourself. Essentially. Okay. Essentially. It's, it's, you know, it's really hard to go up against feds. Hmm. Look at their conviction rate. It's, some, it's that way for a reason. Because you're going to go down. Someone's going down. We're taking someone down. It's just... <laughs> I mean, they, society dictated such at the time because, you know, we were in a recession and everybody blamed it on real houses. estate. Right. And, right. So, you know... People wanted to point fingers. Right. They really did. Um, and I understand that. But um, 
it's it's such a weird dynamic because to understand what you've done and what parts you played in whatever transactions went down and to say, well, okay, you're guilty of this. And we're like, wait a second, we didn't do that. We didn't do any of this. We were here. <laughs> we were here, but yeah, we didn't partake that, but... So I read in some of the court mm-hmm. uh, transcripts that, you know, like, from your perspective, you claim you claimed that naivete played a part in, yeah. in, you know, the outcome of you being present right. or, or you being mentioned or being a part of, of what kind of really was like a Ponzi scheme, right? It wasn't really a Ponzi scheme. So, I mean, I guess it was, it was a Ponzi scheme with Real the estate. banks, I guess. <laughs> you know, and I still don't know. I still don't know the full extent of what it was that that this person got us all caught up in. What was the total amount of money that they're basically... Because it comes down to dollars and cents. 100%. So what what was the overall dollar amount that the, the court and the FBI were saying that you guys were complicit <laughs> in? 5.169, something like that. $5,166,900. Which is really weird. Why? Because you never seen that much money. <laughs> no, so here's what they're doing, right? They're adding up it's each. Cumulative. And every, it's cumulative of each and every property with each and every loan that was taken out on that property. So I don't know how that could have been stolen when the properties are still there with those loans there. Like no one stole nothing. The properties are there. The value is there. The money is there. The houses are there. In someone's name. In someone's name. Hmm. It's not didn't disappear. But I guess they paint the picture as if, yeah, that money's gone. Well, where's the property? But isn't someone going to be paying these loans? That's, it really is a very, very confusing situation because there's a lot of questions. You that, sound like you're still confused. I No, I am. I'm 100% still confused. Because it, it. I think at times people just look for punishment and don't look for, okay, what now? So are you saying that you're the fall guy? Um, no, I'm not alone. I'm clearly not alone. And again, I was in the room, right? I was in the room. I can't tell you I wasn't in the room. Um, so when you were in the room, did this sound like it was like, never. it sounded like above board normal business? Uh, listen, once a bank says you're good to close, you're good to disperse funds, you're good to do this deal, then you assume that's accurate, right? Because... So how long were you in this court proceeding, you, Franz, Metellus? Yeah. How long was this for you, this process? It started in 2008. Two, two years, two plus years. So 2008 to 2010? Yeah. And what was the verdict? So, no, I pled at that point. Really? Yeah, no money. I ran out of money. I couldn't pay my lawyer anymore. I knew the chances are that... They're going to look to blame somebody. I felt that the prosecutor wasn't really being... um, Just? He wasn't. I didn't think he was. So looking back on the decision you made back in 2010, would you still have pled? Uh, You know, I may have. Because, again, look, if you fight, they hit you harder. So you pled Uh to, to... 
essentially to do what? To stop what? To, I mean, was there to, guilt and shame and just no, pain? No, like, well, it was, it was to stop the damage, stop the blood from flowing. Because it's like, okay, what's going to happen? I can't afford to pay an attorney to go to court with me anymore. Do you think you were at the wrong place at the wrong time, or you were just a really active, naive participant? Active, naive participant. Or just, or were you just not paying close attention? I just think that it might have been something that it was the practice of the time. Did I mean like did none of these people that you were doing work with? Did they not come across as shady, or did you not question anything? Did your spidey senses not go off not once, twice? No, they weren't shady that way. There's, there's nothing. Look. Everything seemed above the broad base on everything that you needed to do. All the T's were crossed. All the I's were dotted. So this seemed... Legit. Legit. Seriously. I mean, okay, fine. You, This is your partner today, and that's your partner tomorrow. I don't know what kind of relationship in terms of partnership and straw people you have with them. I've seen that happen a lot. So I don't look at that as being something that would trigger anything. I've seen mothers buy houses for daughters. I've seen uncles buy houses for nephews and second and third cousins. You know, you've seen these things because maybe that person didn't have the credit and this person did. So that's But this this one common denominator, this yeah. one person, is he like or they they're not are, are they posing as real estate brokers or real estate yeah, agents? Yeah. Developers Agents, loan officers, you know. It was essentially one guy who had a team, right? And so he had a loan officer that can get him loans. He had a broker that could find properties for him. So you said um, back in 2003 you were just being arrogant to open your own yeah. practice. Yeah. And um, about seven years later you are in front of a judge yeah. who's passing down... Yeah. Basically a sentence because you just pled guilty to what? Yeah. Um, Conspiracy to commit bank fraud. What does that mean? I have no idea. Neither do I. Neither do I. So seven years later, you're after opening your private practice Mm -hmm. and um, going to... SJU, then yeah. Rutgers Law, and yeah. you know, buying property and yeah. starting a family, and yeah. you know, you know, doing what you you think you know, like a successful black man, yeah, should do, like yeah. you know, own a business, you know, you know, you know, find a good career, you know, get married, have kids. Um, you're now before a judge who's about to pass down a sentence, and what is the sentence that is essentially passed uh. down to you? So he sentenced me to six months. Six months where? Upstate. Uh, Otisville Correctional Facility. So you served six months? Yep. Full six? The full? Full six. Full six months away. Yeah. Um, by that time, your wife had already had the baby, of course. Uh, she had, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she had the baby. So now you have two boys. Yep. Um, under the ages of what, like five? Oh, what year are we talking 2010? 2010, so I have one. Yeah, one is eight, one is maybe one, two. Uh, And you go away. Yeah. What was that ride like in the van taking you to prison? 
surreal. I mean, you know the sentencing was coming, yeah, right? So yeah. you expected that. But now you're in the process of leaving uh-huh. what you know to be home uh-huh. and family and freedom uh-huh. far, far away, uh-huh. hours away, uh-huh. to serve time for uh-huh. a crime that you're still trying to wrap your mind around, but you just wanted to stop the bleeding yeah. and save your family some yep. money and just, like, I'll just do it. Yep. And I'll be back. Yep. That's what you said. I'll be back, right? Essentially, I said, okay, you know what? If this is what it takes to try to get some normalcy back in my life, let me just do it. So you 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 owned this shit. Yeah. You took that fall. Yeah. And you paid the time. Yeah. Six months. Yeah. What was that like? Like that ride there and that stay. All right. So let me first and go back and say, my judge, Judge Weinstein. That was one of the names you mentioned on there. Yeah. I think he's one of the best people in the world. Why do you say that? Because he could have gave me six years. Wow. He understood. Wow. He, li- he really sat there with me and said, you know what? He's being screwed out of everybody here. Wow. He said six months. Wow. Have you ever seen him again after that? Seen him. He sent me a Christmas card in prison. Still brings me to tears. For somehow, there was a connection he and I had, and it was real tight. It was real tight. The sounds of New York, just yeah. <laughs> sirens yeah. go by yeah. as you say the story. Yeah. Um, I'm just like teary eyed, like, yeah. wow. He's a good man. He was a good man, and he really understood what was going on, right? He, and he said it. He said, damn, I mean, I'm sorry you're the one that got caught up in this, but. No, you really didn't know. And you're really losing a lot for your part that you played in this. You know, you're doing time and you didn't make any money and you're losing your license and you didn't make any money and it's just one of those things. So part of the process of you being sentenced was also being disbarred. Yeah. Um, which is an effect for perpetuity? No, technically, I guess you're supposed to be able to go back and practice. Well, I, I could technically go back and practice now so how long is that like disbarment eight nine years so you're going we talking about this right up there though huh so you in the you in the van (laughs) okay so (laughs) no 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 so i so my wife at the time drove me up oh wow yeah yeah they allowed me to just report wow yeah so what was that car ride like with your wife it was about the kids for me yeah so it was mapping really, out the plan. No, it was just about, like, I would miss my kids. I was upset that I couldn't be around my kids. That was the biggest part of it for me. That was my biggest struggle. Everything else was cool. It's like, okay, fine. Let's go do this. Let's get it over. And, you know, he sentenced me to a pretty decent place. Okay. Right? So it wasn't all that bad. The simple things, right? Yeah. So you get there, and six months, like, yeah. uh, I mean, did you... I, I know we watch Orange is the New Black yeah. and shit and think that let me try to paint this picture a little bit so I he essentially Judge Weinstein essentially sent me to a camp right so wow. you know um, uh, Trump's lawyer what's that guy's name the one that uh, the Cohen one that, Cohen uh-huh. he's at the camp where I was at oh yeah. okay so so did you see a lot of uh, a lot of rich older white men yes all 
Uh-huh. <laughs> All. So they weren't mayors, really... governors, got it, judges, doctors. Wow. Yeah. Did he build a rapport with them while you were there? Yeah. 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 You know, I gotta tell you it. So you want a vacation? That's what they said. I listen. <laughs> If I'm going on vacation, I'm taking my kids with me. And that was no vacation. Oh, my God. But it it, it wasn't horrible. But it I, wasn't fun. I learned a lot. What did you learn? Learned a lot about yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, you learn a lot about, you know, the one thing about you find in prison is a lot of, you know, A-type personalities. You get a ton of them, you know, essentially. And... Some you learn humility a lot, you know. Um, you also learn that two people can be right about totally the same thing and see it two different ways, but two people are right, mm. you know. Um, I also learned that it's not that deep to impose your will on everybody, you don't have to be the one in the room that hey, I'm right and you're wrong, it's not that deep, right? You know, and everybody has a cross to carry. Everybody. So how was that six months of carrying that cross for you? Man, listen, when you're in it, you think it's crazy. But when you're done, you look back, and you know what? Thank God for that time. Honestly. Yeah? Yeah. Because I don't know where I would have gotten that. I wouldn't have been able to sit still. Huh. Right? Like you said, I practicing law, I'm owning a restaurant, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I didn't have a chance to sit still. I sat still. It probably saved my life. Huh. It's amazing how uh, in the midst of it, sometimes we just don't, right. we don't, we don't see this, no. we don't feel it, and right. sometimes it might feel like the biggest injustice ever. Yeah. Um, and then hindsight. Yeah. You know, like, I'm grateful. Yeah, I'm grateful. That's profound. I'm grateful to overcome it. That's profound. You know, it's, it's, listen, here's one thing I got to say about this whole Kobe thing, right? And his passing was tragic, but the one thing that people got to remember, and I remembered, is it ain't about your fall. It's always about your get up. Right. right. Just get up. You've been able to get up. <laughs> <laughs> You've been able to um, rise from the ashes mm, yeah. um, and rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, and life is always changing, right? So, you know, relationships change and people around you differ. And, you know, life, you are evolving as a man. Right. Um, so from that experience till now... Mm-hmm. How have you seen yourself evolve as a man and just responsible and being attentive and looking at everything a little bit more meticulously mm. than before? Like, how has it altered your 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 approach to life? Hmm. How has it... You know, it's... You need patience. You need wisdom. You need strength. You need the ability to see and empathize with others 
you need to put your, be able to put yourself in another person's shoes. You know, and I think that's what kind of helps me now. Right? I mean, I went in, I did my little bid. Um, I understand what those people are going through. I really do. I understand how they feel when they come home. Um, I understand how the common person feels, like the regular everyday Joe feels. And I, and I know what a person who wants to succeed in life feels, right? Because I was that dude. I still want to succeed in life. And sometimes when you try to succeed so hard, you just miss everything else around you. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that has allowed me to my experience has allowed me to just be able to see and I hope to see all aspects of a situation because that's what's important right based on your experience and being the father of two boys how do you help them navigate this world as young black men Uh, um, just tell them my experiences anyone wants to go into the law no. Well, no, they're, they're not even thinking about it that way. But no, it's just, you know, you go through your experiences. You really do. You don't hide it from them. Right. You know, I, I didn't hide it from my kids. They they came to court with me. Wow. You know, and I, don't, I know a lot of West Indians like, no, you can't bring them. Nah. I respect that. Yeah, nah. Listen, here's what's happening. Check this out. I know you might be too young to really understand it, but here it is. Wow. Do you think that has brought your relationship with your boys um, closer? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Me and my boys have always been close. So we, I, I, we've been close from day one. And when you went away and came back home, how was that for them to just to? So fortunately enough, they used to come visit. Okay. So, you know, every two weeks I got to see them. So shout out to your ex-wife, yo. Yeah. Shout out to your ex-wife oh, who yeah. held you down oh, yeah. while you were away oh, yeah. and would drive the boys oh, yeah. up to see their oh, dad yeah. oh, and yeah. made sure that you had a semblance Everybody of did. My mom did. My yeah. dad did. My dad bought the boys. My mom bought the boys. My brother bought the boys. Shout out to the tribe. Yeah, man. They all held it down. So, you know, from just hearing that, your village is, yeah. runs deep. Yeah. And, you know, I started this episode by saying, you know, I only know you based on my experience with you. Mm-hmm. But apparently my experience with you tends to be, uh, you know, a lot a lot of other people's experience mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you might actually be a good guy. <laughs> I'm all right, you know, sometimes. <laughs> um, I'm getting to wrap this up a bit, but yeah. I wanted you to like, I don't know if you've ever spoken about this before. Mm-hmm. On a podcast? Is this your first time doing a podcast on, on this particular I think I've chapter? spoken about the issue several times, but never on a pod. Okay. Never so, on a pod. So I, I appreciate us being the first podcast yeah. that yeah. you share this with. And, For sure. You know, someone listening to this, what do you want some of the takeaways to be? Get up. Everybody falls. Get up. Don't blame it on person A. Don't blame it on... Listen, I can't blame anybody else anything that I was involved in because like I said maybe I shouldn't have been his attorney right Right. maybe I should have been a little bit wiser to what was happening around me and I should have said nah no dice but I was there and you know I paid a price for it but get up right let's see another day get up try again yep ah France 
Yes. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I think I think it's just imperative for us. I love the fact that you're letting them know just to get up. You yeah. know, a lot of times people see their mistakes as their end all be all. No, nah, get up. And um, you know, someone might be listening to this whose son made a mistake or who themselves made a mistake. It may not be a to the legal gravity of going to prison. Right. You know, but it may be costing them something or yeah. you know, putting them on front street for yeah. the world to see that they fucked up or yeah. made a mistake. But Kobe's not here. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Um, and you have the gift of breath, which yeah. means you, there is still hope for change. And I appreciate you for sharing your story because someone need, I you know, shout out to Judge Weinstein. Right? Shout out to Judge Weinstein, the best judge in the world. Yo, shout out to the teachers and the police officers. Yeah. Like I had um um our future mm-hmm. <laughs> NYC mayor. Eric Adams was on the podcast. His episode is coming up soon after okay. yours. And, you know, just to hear how he did work within the community of people trusting police right. officers, right? right? There are people you can trust. Right. Of course. Um, and I appreciate you for trusting us with your story today. Oh, no, it's it, all good. A bit of it. Uh, before you go, yeah. I know you like Soka. <laughs> if ever you want to know where Frost is on Labor Day, <laughs> <laughs> he's always on the same place on Easter Parkway. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> By himself, watching Maz, jumping up, waiting for the Haitian truck. <laughs> I love it all. I watch it all. That's, that's, my, that's my 4th of July. That's my Christmas. That's my everything, man. Tell the people where they can find Rustic. Ah, you can find Rustic, 471 Decal. We also can find us at rustictavern.com. Rustic with a K. Yep, Rustic with a K. Social media, all that good stuff. I had my 30th birthday there. Ah, We have good memories. That was a great party. (laughs) You know what? Let me, you know, that used to be my whole, now I can't take nobody there. Shout out to Rustic. Make sure you visit them. Black-owned uh, establishment that you definitely should support. Franz Metellus, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story with us. You're welcome. And helping our listeners know that once they fall down... Get up. Get up. I love it. Anyone you want to shout out real quick? Uh, shout out to Brooklyn. Shout out to Queen. Shout out to everybody. Shout out to Rustic Nation. Rustic Nation. Hear that, Jay Burns? He has a Rustic Nation. <laughs> Yo, let's go have a drink over at Rustic. Meet me there. I'm always over there. Franz, you yeah. are an amazing spirit in human Thank form. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for your business and all that you're doing in the community. Things that we didn't even discuss. Oh, yeah. Um, but thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. In my I love people who live and own their truth. Thank you so much, Franz, for coming on Headbutt JB to share your story with the world and to remind us that it ain't about your fall. It's all about your get up. I love that line. (laughs) I pray that someone who needed to hear the story got the confidence they needed to just dust themselves off. I pray that Someone who has found themselves harshly judging others, especially those labeled as convicted felons or whatever you might try to label or unfairly assign to shame someone. I pray you realize that there's always more to the story and redemption is available to all. Let's practice extending the same grace we want 
for ourselves to the people we come in contact with. There have been 100,000 COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. My earnest prayer is that people put down pettiness and messiness, hatred and folly and focus on being better people. You know, don't wait until COVID is done to pick back up where you left off, especially if it wasn't positive. Just do the right thing. Spread love, not diseases. And be grateful that God has allowed you to see another day. Man. That was a really great episode. Coming up next week, though, (laughs) we start the annual celebration of Caribbean American Heritage Month with some really special people. Make sure you subscribe, share, rate, leave a comment, and come back next week, y'all. To everyone under the sound of my voice, I send you love, healing, and good energy. See you next Wednesday for yet another episode of In My Head. (laughs) 